the 159th QuackCast. This one is called Gut Check. I always cringe when I see an acupuncture headline with needle or point in the title. Can't the writer avoid the cliched pun? I had an editor who commented that the titles of my essays are often obtuse. Probably true. In going back over my essays for science-based medicine, I often can't tell from the title what I have written about until I read the article. It's a fine line between what I think is a clever title and obscurity. So gut check it is. Time flies when you're having fun. I last talked about probiotics back in 2009. My conclusion at the time? Probiotics are useful for the prevention of antibiotic-associated diarrhea. Probiotics may be helpful in preventing other overgrowth syndromes or diseases associated with other perturbations in the gut microbial flora, such as irritable bowel syndrome and colic. Probiotics are foreign bacteria that are not a part of your GI tract. They do not enhance your immune system and, in normal people, do not promote the nebulous bowel health. If you are a normal human with a normal diet, save your money. Probiotics offer nothing except increased cost. Medicine is not static, and there have been interesting advances in the understanding of the human microbiome in health and disease since 2009. So for SBM and my own medical understanding, I thought it would be a good opportunity to re-review the topic. Although with over 12,000 references on PubMed, I can only touch a smattering of the papers. My ID attending in medical school often referred to reading the medical literature as drinking from a fire hose. Indeed, probiotics. The more I understand about normal GI flora, the more I suspect probiotics are the wrong answer to a variety of medical questions. We have a complex bacterial flora in and on us. We carry around 10 to 100 times more bacteria than there are cells that make us up. We may think we are hot stuff, the pinnacle of evolution, but in reality we are just sentient transport and feeding machines for bacteria. Quote, the human GI tract is predominantly a bacterial ecosystem. Cell densities in the colon, 10 to the 11th to 10 to the 12th per mil, are the highest recorded in any known ecosystem. The vast majority belong to two divisions of bacteria, which I'm about to mispronounce because I've never actually heard them pronounced. The bacteroides, 48%, and the firmicutes, 51%. There are over 1,000 species in the GI tract with over 5 million genes. Most of these bacteria cannot be cultured, but are only identified by molecular techniques. While they are often called good bacteria, the constituents of probiotics are not part of the normal GI tract in significant numbers, if at all. The lactobacilli, bifidobacteria, and saccharomyces found in most of the products are better classified as less pathogenic organisms than good as a treatment for C. difficile, probiotics have marginal benefits, and clinical trials have had difficulty in demonstrating efficacy. Although for prevention, the most recent meta-analysis does suggest benefit. Pooled analyses revealed significant reductions in the risk for antibiotic-associated diarrhea and Clostridium difficile infection among patients randomly assigned to co-administration of probiotics. The number needed to treat for benefit was 11 for AAD 
and 14 for CDI. Even though well-conducted studies do suggest otherwise, quote, we found no evidence that probiotic administration was effective in preventing antibiotic-associated diarrhea. Although there was a trend towards reduced C. difficile in the probiotic arm, on balance, the administration of this probiotic seems unlikely to benefit older patients exposed to antibiotics. Like much of the medical literature, when using an intervention of perhaps uncertain biologic plausibility, you can read the literature as you see fit. I tend to see the preponderance of data suggesting yes for prevention and no for treatment. It is instructive to compare the efficacy of probiotics, uncertain, with the real deal, bacteria, that actually belong in the GI tract. Time to start gagging. Stool transplants cure 90% of people with C. difficile. That's impressive. Even more impressive are frozen poo pills derived from humans, which lack the ick factor of a stool slurry. Quote, Resolution of diarrhea was achieved in 14 patients, 70%, after a single capsule-based fecal microbiota transplantation. All six non-responders were retreated. Four had resolution of their diarrhea with an overall efficacy of 90%. And there is also synthetic stool, which I suppose you would put in an Android, which is also effective and has the following recipe. 33 isolates representing commensal species that are generally sensitive to a range of antimicrobials and were, key thing, relatively straightforward to culture, were selected for the final stool substitute formulation. So when I read the literature, I suspect we are seeing the beginning of the end of the stone knives and bearskins era of probiotics. Currently, we are using organisms that are of low pathogenicity, but foreign and do have the potential to generate an inflammatory response as well as rare illness. As we gain more understanding of both the composition of the normal microbiome and its interactions with the immune and other systems, I suspect we will have more sophisticated and complex probiotics made from the real good bacteria, those that probably belong in the GI tract. And I bet you it will be expensive. Microbiome as a treatment for other diseases. It is probably why the studies of probiotics for diseases besides diarrhea are less than compelling. Inflammatory bowel disease, bowel cancer, and allergies all may have a link to the gut microbiome. The complexity of the ecosystem and the interactions of human genetics and diet will make this a complicated issue to tease out causality. This is an area with more speculation and intriguing hints than hard data. The identification and tracking of the gut microbiome is in its early days, and definitive clinical trials are lacking. For instance, quote, to date, there is insufficient data to recommend probiotics for use in Crohn's disease. There is evidence for the support of probiotics for induction and maintenance of remission of ulcerative colitis and pouchitis. Future quality studies are needed to confirm whether probiotics, prebiotics, symbiotics have a definitive role in induction or maintenance of remission in Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, and pouchitis. Or allergies. Many studies have demonstrated the administration of probiotics is able to prevent the onset of allergic sensitizations and improve the symptoms of atopic dermatitis and allergic rhinitis. However, studies were published too that achieved negative outcomes. The overall evaluation of results is, however, difficult 
as the strains used in the study design are markedly heterogeneous. If there is going to be benefit of probiotics in other diseases, perhaps it will come from transplanting ecosystems of bacteria rather than the occasional odd lactobacillus. Weight gain. It is fascinating that the microbiome is associated with weight gain. Have the wrong microbiome and you will gain weight, at least if you are a mouse. Transplant a fat-promoting microbiome into thin mice and they will gain weight. So if you're going to get a stool transplant, I suppose you should make sure you obtain the specimen from a thin person. And there was a recent case report of someone who did get a stool transplant for C. difficile from an obese patient, and they subsequently gained 40 pounds. It is just a case report. And as the New England Journal Review points out, quote, currently there is no direct evidence for a causal relationship in humans. And the translation of findings from mouse to human is challenging. Still, it has long been known that low concentration of antibiotics in animal feed leads to fatter animals. Maybe it's due to changing the microbiome. It is interesting that there is an association between otitis media and obesity in children, and those patients get lots of antibiotics. The potential reasons for the association are probably many, of course, and the data to support early antibiotic use and subsequent weight gain have both a pro and a con. In my world, some antibiotic regimens are more likely to result in weight gain. Vancomycin, as well as doxycycline and hydroxychloroquine, when used for endocarditis, have been associated with weight gain, the latter with a documented change in the gut microbiome. The information is preliminary, but it is pointing in one direction. It is a fun and fascinating topic, but it is far too early to use clinically. I do expect in the future we will have a better understanding of what the correct microbiome should be, and it will likely not include the currently touted products, despite the numerous sites that offer probiotics, prebiotics, herbs, and supplements to promote and support bowel health. I am also willing to bet that preliminary data will be hyped far out of proportion to clinical applicability in the scam community. And there is always someone who will take preliminary information and make it into a diet. The microbiome diet does exist. It is scientifically proven, so it must be good. Me, I am writing the paleo microbiome diet, getting back to the microbiome of our ancestors before we started farming. I'll make a mint. For 89 bucks, you can even find out what your own microbiome is. I am half tempted to spend the money just out of curiosity. I would be doubly curious given my ability to pack on weight given my total colectomy. And they look legit. SIBO. A week or so ago, I was asked a quick question outside the stairwell. How do you treat archaea? Huh? You mean the third domain of life after bacteria and eukaryota? Yep. You don't. They don't cause disease in humans. They are extremophiles. Why would you want to do that? A naturopath has diagnosed bowel overgrowth and is treating a patient. Well, I've never heard of that, and if you judge an idea by the company, keeps. So, that's stupid. I don't buy it. And I walked up the steps. But as I walked up the steps, I thought, is it? What do I really know about archaea and human disease? Nothing. The purveyors of pseudomedicines do love to wildly extrapolate from preliminary basic science or small clinical trials to develop grand diagnostic and treatment schemes for all diseases. So maybe, maybe, 
there is a nugget of truth of which I am unaware. So I went to the pub meds and yep, I was ignorant on the topic. For it turns out that archaea are indeed part of the human GI tract and are responsible for the production of methane. Methane, for you English listeners. Methanogenic archaea are known as human gut inhabitants since more than 30 years ago through the detection of methane in the breath and isolation of two methanogenic species belonging to the order of Methanobacteriales, Methanobrevibacter smithii, and Methanosphera statmaniae. Probably mispronounced. I suppose the colon does qualify as an extreme environment. I would not want to live in one. And archaea are found in about 50% of adults. Quote, Methanogenic archaea are strict anaerobes that occur in a large range of environments, such as freshwater and marine sediments, soils, and the gut of numerous animal species, including humans. Their physiology and ecology is widely studied for their intrinsic capacity to produce methane, which is both a source of energy in a bioreactor and a greenhouse gas emitted from natural and anthropic environments, including livestock. As a recurrent component of the human digestive tract, the impact of archaea and more particularly methanogens on human health have been questioned for many years. There are indeed some intriguing associations between the presence of archaea in colorectal cancer, obesity, inflammatory bowel disease, irritable bowel syndrome, diverticulitis, constipation, perhaps the most robust data, and periodontitis, remembering the mantra that association is not causation. The review has a nice pro-con table of the evidence. As one author notes, quote, it is important to consider the above findings using an evidence-based medicine approach. A recent meta-analysis evaluated the existing literature comparing the presence of methane and constipation. Although not all studies have confirmed these results, most do support a significant association. And as the review notes, quote, links with human diseases and health, if any, will therefore be established in the next years, considering the archaea is a diverse population, as it is for bacteria, with more discriminant methods than methane in breath for methanogens. Genomics has strongly helped in the determination of reputed roles in the gastrointestinal tract and indicated their unique metabolic properties before experimental proofs. This shows the potent physiologic importance of the still poorly known domain archaea in the human gut and the role of its members, beneficial or deleterious, remain to be determined. And the ND connection? Evidently, it is considered part of the bacterial of SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, for which Portland has the specialty ND clinic. ND, of course, means not a doctor. With the usual pseudomedical ability of making a mountain range from a grain of sand, besides IBS, according to the ND site, SIBO is associated with acne rosacea acromegaly, aging, alcohol consumption, anemia, atrophic gastritis, autism, celiac disease, chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic lymphocytic leukemia, cystic fibrosis, diabetes, diverticulitis, dyspepsia, erosive esophagitis, fibromyalgia, Gallstones, gastroparesis, GERD, hepatic encephalopathy, hepatic steosis, H. pylori infection, hyperchlorhydria, hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, irritable bowel syndrome, interstitial nephritis, 
lactose intolerance, leaky gut, liver cirrhosis, Lyme, opiates, insets, muscular dystrophy, NASH, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, obesity, pancreatitis, parasites, Parkinson's, chronic prostatitis, radiation enteropathy, restless leg syndrome, rheumatoid, arthritis, scleroderma, and more. Color me skeptical. Perhaps yet another one true cause of all disease. I got me a hammer. Look, everything is a nail. I do find it cool, however, that as one branch of the tree of life, we carry around the other two. Or is it three? Or is it four? And that ends the 153rd QuackCast. The references can be found at Science-Based Medicine at the appropriate blog entry. Don't forget, I will be in Chicago at the SMAC conference in June. And I have a book out, if you don't know, The Puss Whisperer. By all means, read it. It's most excellent. Otherwise, talk to you next time. Bye.